what is a church made up of? Members. There's a statistic before I get into, um, get into this that's interesting to me. The average church in America has 189 members. Average church has 189 members in uh, America. Average attendance on a Sunday morning in a church is 76. Who in here thinks that sounds not good? Me too. Because where are those other 113 people? Are they all sick at the same time? Are they all in a home where they cannot leave? Are they all homebound? Are they all on vacation? I, I, I would give a large number and say, yes, there are certainly lots of people that can't come on a Sunday. But to have the vast majority of your membership not attending does not sound like what membership looks like in the Bible. Does that make sense? Who in here has ever signed up for a rewards program? Anybody ever regret it? Anybody get those emails? Love it, right? So much fun. Start getting phone calls and you're like, did you sell my number? Yes, they did. They did do that. Why did you sign up for a rewards program? For the things you could get out of it, right? They promise, and usually it's, it's, it's obscure. They're like, hey, would you like to be a rewards member? And you're like, rewards are good. Yes. And then you, you keep scanning your car, doing your thing, and nothing happens. Anybody had some of those? Some, some of the ones actually work, right? Where you're getting, you know, five bucks every now and then at Cook's Food Store or something like that. But some of them, you literally keep doing like, I, I, I think this is okay. I hope this doesn't offend anybody. I, I have one for Ace, and I literally don't know what it does. <laughs> no idea. They ask me for my phone number. I give it to them every time, and there has never been any change. Everything has always cost the same amount of money all the time. I don't understand what it's for. Um, and I think they've just tricked me. <laughs> But we, I wanted to be a member of this rewards program for the benefits for me. I want in on those savings, those discounts, or those dollars. Uh, yeah, signing up for the emails for the store, and then you uh, have to... How many, how many emails does it take before you unsubscribe? Usually, I'm at like five. Once I get my fifth email, I'm like, I'm done. I hate this. This is dumb. I don't want any of these things. I don't want any of this stuff. Who in here has ever joined a gym? Anybody ever joined one? <laughs> Good. How many of you uh, immediately started looking healthier, trimmer, and in better shape simply by being a member? <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Anybody join a gym you never went to? How long did you pay for that membership before you finally were like, all right, this is a, yeah, I got to stop that. Because <laughs> that's what happens, right? Normally it's not, I got to start going. It's, man, I'm wasting money. <laughs> You don't get the benefits of a gym simply by joining, do you? How do you get the benefits of the gym? Showing up and doing the work. Showing up and doing the work. That's where it comes in. Church membership is, uh, in short, our membership is a local church joining in approval with someone that Christ has saved them that he is Lord of their life and that they are a new creation living in constant change of that salvation. So what church membership is, first of all, I want us to understand why it's important. It is clean. If you join Clean Ridge Baptist Church, what we are saying as a church is we affirm that this person has been changed entirely by Jesus Christ. And we will put that affirmation to the world. We will say, yes, we have talked, spoken, discussed, and we affirm Jesus has saved this person. That is a big, big deal. Membership is not just because you enjoy the seat that you're in. 
Membership is not just so that you can come and be a part of other benefits. It's first and foremost an affirmation of a whole a body that Jesus created. Jesus makes the church, right? Not us. A group of people saying, yes, we affirm and believe this person has been changed by Christ. That is the number one thing. Are there benefits to membership? Yes. But first and foremost, it's an affirmation of we see the change of Christ in somebody else. If it's anything less than that, membership is meaningless. All right, we have a lot of scripture to go through today, so I'm going to get started. So first of all, one of the things I want to say about what is a church member, a church member is a part of something bigger than themselves. Okay, so I want to uh, read Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another." The word member necessitates the existence of a larger collective. Does that make sense? Uh, do you know there can't be a um, Colin Cook club? Thank Jesus, right? Nobody needs that. Because the fact is I could be the only member. I'm the only me that there is. I can't have a club that's for me because I'm the only member. And therefore, it's just, this isn't a, a membership or a group or anything like that. It's a one person thing. So there must be something bigger. As members of one another with, and uh, with Christ as our head, we must be very careful to value each other. Anybody struggle with valuing other church members sometimes? Liars. Can I tell you something that's easy to do? It's very easy to throw criticism at other people, isn't it? Anybody find it easy to criticize? <laughs> you guys don't like participating today, that's fine. Anybody find it easy to complain? Oh, man, that is easy. I'm good at it. It's very easy to throw criticism at other people for not doing what we think they should do. Anybody, who in here criticizes football when you watch? Who in here, who in here is also on a college or a pro football team? Isn't that fun? We will look at men who have trained for years, who are eight foot three and 3,000 pounds and say, Get, oh, come on, that man would squash us, right? We can't do what he does. And yet we love to sit in front of our TVs and say, lazy, don't we? It is so easy to criticize. What's funny is while we're really good at criticizing others, we're also very quick to demand grace for ourselves. Oh, you don't know what's been going on in my life. Don't you dare tell me what I need to be doing better. But I'm going to constantly criticize what you're not doing. This is sin. Plain, simple sin. To sit in criticism of a body we're called to be members of and value. And, and, and so instead of valuing everyone else, we come in with a high value of me, the exact opposite of what Romans just said, right? Said, hey, consider yourself with a sober judgment. That means take the filter off your Instagram and look at your real self in the mirror. Look at yourself and judge yourself rightly. Have a right value of yourself and have a high value for everyone else. Bestowing the grace you would want for yourself 
on other people. We are called to be part of something bigger that we value. John 15, one through five says, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that he, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I in the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. A church member, an individual church member can do nothing on their own. They can only bear fruit by remaining connected to the vine, which is Christ Jesus. There are not lots of vines, right? There's not all these vines, lots of separate Jesuses that have one branch on them as an individual. And here's my vine. That's where I see it. This is my personal walk with Christ. Anybody ever heard that word? You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying you don't, but Jesus also saved you into a community called the church, period. There is no Christianity apart from Christ's church because he created it that way. There's one vine Christ and each branch is connected to Christ and to each other. That is what the church is. And that's why it's so dangerous when you don't join a church. Because what you're saying is, I want to be a branch that survives apart from the vine. How long does a branch survive when you break it off a vine? It doesn't. How much fruit does it bear? None. How good is it? None. Christ created the church for us to be a part of it. So first of all, a church member is a part of something bigger than themselves that they value highly. Second of all, a church member loves. John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just, to, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you, love, if you have love for one another. The world will not believe in an all-loving Savior by watching a bitter, grudge-holding, gossiping, mean church. What is on, what's, I think we have to ask ourselves this question. What's on display in our lives at Klingon Ridge? A deep love for Christ and his people or a deep love for myself and getting my way? 1 John 2, 9 through 11 says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going for the darkness has blinded his eyes. We can't be a church that reflects the light of Christ without a love for one another. And our world is in desperate need of light. Desperate need to see Christ on display in a church, which means we have to have a great, deep love for one another. A church member loves the other members. Next up, church members unify. John 17, 20 through 23 says, I do not ask for these only. Here's what's interesting. I need to pause here for a second and say this. This is Jesus's final prayer for uh, the world um, before he walks through the time where he's going to be put to death, right? His murder. If you're thinking, what, what is he going to pray for? What would Jesus pray for the church at the very end of his life? This is it. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Are you noticing a pattern, a pattern here? There's, there's ways that we show Christ to the world and there's ways that we can't. The only way the world will see Christ through the church is for the church to be who Christ commands them to be, to do what he commands them to do. Otherwise, we are a simple, worldly, social club, a rewards program. Christ has not called his church to be a rewards program. He's called his church to be a light in the darkness, pointing to him. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are unified because there is only one God, one savior, one faith and one body. Our opinions, preferences or upbringing cannot bring division where Christ has created unity. I want to read this. Here's how, how important unity is in the church. Titus chapter three, verses 10 through 11 says, as for a person who stirs up division, what's division? The opposite of unity, right? Unity is bringing uh, a diverse group of people together and saying you're one. Division is dividing them out saying we're different, therefore let's separate. For a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Unity in the church is so important that the Bible commands us to remove anyone who is stopping it. We read about this in 1 Corinthians 5. Do you guys remember that? Where Paul talked about the man who was sleeping with his stepmother. And he said, hand that man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his soul may be saved. This isn't optional. Membership matters. And a member who causes division can no longer remain a member because, the, because only a church in unity can point to Jesus Christ. Next up, a member serves. Philippians 2, 4 through 7. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Okay, I know I harp on preferences a lot, but... What greater preferences could you give up than a throne in heaven? Anybody ever had anything better than that? I haven't. Jesus Christ was sitting in a throne in heaven and gave up that preference to come to earth to save sinners. What greater sacrifice could you make than to take on the sin of the world having done no wrong yourself? Anybody sacrifice more than that? Me either. So in light of Christ's sacrifice, in light of Christ's serving, 
Is anything asked of you too much? We see this on display in John 13. I'm not going to read it, but this is the, where Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. He didn't, Jesus' service didn't just stop by him leaving the throne to come to earth. He washed the feet of his disciples, the lowest of the lowest jobs that you could possibly get because people wore sandals in a very dust, dusty and dirty environment. Do you know what feet, um, who, who in here hates feet anyways? Just go ahead and uh, just, yeah, there you go. All right, feet, they're, they're gross, right? It is what it is. Back then, feet were grosser, okay? Let's just say that. Washing someone else's feet, not a great job. Jesus said, here, let me do that for you. Including the feet of Judas Iscariot. The man that he knew was going to betray him and have him murdered. Jesus washed his feet. In light of Christ's service, is anything beneath you? Member also shares. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are, pleading, are pleasing to God. We read about this in the early church last week. They shared everything. Are you willing to share what you do have to meet the needs of those that don't? 1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother, his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If you're not willing to share with those in this room, John doubts your salvation. I want to read that again. If you're not willing to share with those sitting in this room with you, John doubts Jesus' salvation of your soul. Because that would seem to mean that your stuff is Lord of your life, not Christ. Members not only share, they also give. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all time, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, the, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So first of all, I want to say this. God blesses people who give. God does not command any member to give everything, okay? There's nowhere in the Bible that I can say God has commanded members, period, like a group of people. Hey, he has told you to give everything. But he has told, commanded everyone to give something. So start somewhere. Start at 1%. Your giving will bring spiritual growth in other areas of your life because money is a false God and we serve it faithfully, don't we? God has given you everything that you have. Do you not trust him to bring you what you need next? Or is it that you're not content with what he has brought you? God has enriched you for you to be generous in giving. All right, not only does a member give, a member also works. 
Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. We, we read this last week, I think. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. God has not called pastors to do all the work of the ministry. Our main role is to equip the church to do ministry. Are you willing to accept the ministry he's called you to? Romans 12, 6 through 8 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who, who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see, the Holy Spirit has gifted each Christian in this room. And you are to use your gift for the work, to work for the church as much as you can and as best as you can because Christ has called no one to nothing. All right, here's a fun one. Church members confront. Anybody in here hate conflict and confrontation? Anybody hate it, like hate it, hate it? Some of you guys are like, no, that's confrontational. If I raise my hand, I can't do that right now. People will see me and get offended. <laughs> Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. That every charge may be established with the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to, uh, to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a tax collector and a Gentile. Right, we need to note some things here, okay? I want to note a few things about what this confrontation looks like, what this conflict looks like. The burden of the conversation is on the person who feels like they have been wronged. Did you know that you're not responsible for anything somebody hasn't told you? Who in here reads minds? Who in here wishes your spouse could read minds? Who in here pretends like your spouse should be able to read your mind? Okay, there you go. Amen. No one can read your mind. If you are an offended party, the other person probably has no idea. And they're not responsible for what you haven't told them. So the burden is on you to share uh, what you're feeling. The goal of your conversation in saying that someone has hurt you, wronged you, or sinned against you is restoration. If you have any other goal, you are in sin yourself. This conversation begins with you and the person who has wronged you alone. Otherwise, you are probably sinning in gossip. We love to start with others, don't we? When someone hurts me, it's way easier to go to five other people and say, can you believe this? And that's sin. What's a lot harder is to say, I'm going to by myself, keep this to myself, walk to that person and say, hey, this happened. That kind of, that, that hurt my feelings. That, that hurt me. That hurt my, my family. That I'm upset by it and I, I want to talk to you about it. I don't want to talk, talk to you about it to hurt you. I don't want to talk to you about it to make you feel bad. I want to talk to you about it because I want our relationship to be restored because Christ has commanded our unity. And this is not a suggestion. Church members are required to confront sin because sin destroys. And it's not love to, uh, to ignore something that's destroying your brother or sister. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
Because the very sin that we love to self-righteously judge in others is not beyond our own flesh's desire. Does that make sense? Anybody in here ever judge somebody? I'm judging you right now for the record. (laughs) You are dishonest people. We judge people all the time, don't we? And you know what's funny about judgment like that? Is when I'm a self-righteous judge, I'm looking at someone's sin and I'm like, I would never. But you know what the word has to say is, well, you could, but for God's grace, you are there. So who am I to sit here and have self-righteousness? Now, that doesn't mean there's no confrontation. I owe a conversation. I owe talk because sin destroys, but not in self-righteousness, in the grace of Christ. Last thing that I'm going to read about for a member, a member submits. Who likes that word? The first thing that a church member submits to is Jesus Christ. Now, who in here has a hard time with that? Everybody okay there? We submit to Christ? Okay. Let's think about who Christ is as he reveals himself in Revelation. Revelation 1, 12 through 20. So John is sitting here and he's, he has this vision. He turns around, somebody's speaking. He says, then I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came, two sh- uh, came a sharp, that is Jesus Christ. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I think I would do the same. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels and the seven of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You see, there's letters written that Jesus himself writes to seven churches. And he says, these are uh, letters to these lampstands, right? And then he, uh, he says that the, the seven stars are the angels to them. Angels is the word messengers. And so mo- uh, most commentaries say these are the pastors in these churches. So this is Christ, our Savior, our Lord. He is in the midst of his churches and holds pastors in his hands. We are to submit to that Jesus Christ. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live, and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We are redeemed for his possession. The church belongs to Christ and we are a people ready, willing, and excited. And we're to be a, a people ready, willing, and excited to do the good things he has called us to do. We display our submission to Christ first and foremost. I'm going to say this briefly through baptism and then through communion and baptism you're identifying and saying i belong to christ that's why we need the church too right and then in communion when we take it together we're saying i belong to christ and i'm remembering on a daily basis that he died and rose from the dead and i will continue to do that until he comes back we are to submit not only to christ but also to his word 
2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Nothing else can make this claim. God's word is inerrant, sufficient, and authoritative. We can disagree on a lot of stuff, but not that. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You have come here this morning for a lot of reasons, right? The word sees straight through all of them. It shines light on the desire of your heart. And it brings you totally exposed before God. That's why we read the word of God for ourselves and not for someone else. Because it exposes us. Last of all, we are to submit, members are to submit to God's appointed leadership. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who, have, who, have, who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. All leaders, which is talking about pastors and elders, we'll get to those um, in a couple of weeks, that God has called to the church are accountable in every way for how they lead. They're accountable to God and he calls members to obey and to submit to them. For the record, if that makes anybody in this room uncomfortable, it makes me far more uncomfortable. But I refuse to be ashamed of God's word. I refuse to not read it and submit myself to it and say, that's what God's word says. Members' role is to make church leaders love their role. Do you? I'll stop there and continue. First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. Church members are called to respect the pastors and elders that God has placed over them, even when they are correcting them. First Timothy 4, 11 through 12 says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Pastors and elders are to command and teach the church. And the church is to respect these leaders, even if they're young. Here's what's interesting. Do you know that Timothy was probably in his uh, teens when he began pastoring? Who in here thinks the teenagers are ready to be a pastor? Who in here is better equipped to call somebody than God? Because what we're saying is God did something wrong by calling Timothy to pastor. What we have to do is have a bigger perspective because age is, a very, uh, is about perspective, right? Um, when you were 10, how old was old to you? 30 something? When you were in your 20s, how old was old? 50s, 40s, something like that. When you're in your 30s, how old is old? 95. <laughs> the older you get, the perspective changes on what old is because we don't like thinking of ourselves as old. But also what is young changes, doesn't it? When you're 20, young is all those teenagers. When you're in your 30s, the 20s are young. When you're 40s, the, we have a weird perspective. 
But who in here gets to claim maturity in the shadow of a God who has existed in eternity? Titus 2.15, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Pastors and elders preach and lead behind the full authority of the word of God and none are allowed to dismiss it. I want to say this, we're closing with this. I want to read a quote from a book I was reading. This makes it seem like members need to be perfect. Who in here walked in this room with with, uh, perfection on? I saw a hand go up, that's awesome. (laughs) We need to talk. Um, Because I need help in there. I struggle. If perfection was what was required for membership, all of us are expelled, right? We're not looking for perfection, but these are the things that God calls members to strive for and to look, uh, to try to become. So I want to read this. Jonathan Lehman wrote this. He's saying, when you're looking for who should be a member of a church, look for the ones who are poor in spirit, who mourn their sin, who aren't entitled, always insisting on their own way, but are meek, who are sick to death of sin and all its nonsense, and so hunger and thirst for righteousness like it is water. When you find people like that, make sure they know who Jesus is. Make sure Jesus is the one who fills their impoverished spirit, who has forgiven their sins, who receives their life and worship, and whose righteousness they depend upon and pursue. When you find such people, tell them to join. Look to the Beatitudes for who Christ wants to be members of your church. When you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I have a few questions just as we wrap this up. If you are a member of Clinging Ridge Baptist Church, does this message describe your membership? Or does it reveal areas where you've treated Christ's church as your personal club? Are you a member as described in the word or are you a consumer showing up to get what you can get out of it? If you're not a member of Clinging Ridge, why not? And there can be good reasons, but I want to ask this. Is it disobedience or selfishness that's, selfishness that's stopping you from becoming a member? If it's not Clinging Ridge that you need to be a member of, where is God calling you to be a member? Or maybe have you not joined because you need Christ to save you first? I want to ask you to respond however God leads you. If you want to be a member, talk to me or fill out the email office at clingers.com and say, I want to be a member. If you want to ask questions about that, pursue that. But God has called you not to live in isolation because you cannot bear fruit if you're apart from the vine. This is the body of Christ where the vine exists. So branches must be connected to it. And if you are a member, Be the member that the Bible describes. Jesus, I pray that you convict us this morning. Lord, as we understand what the church is and we are breaking down what what people make up the church, first of all, inside of looking at members, help us to be members in the way that your word describes. Members that love and unify and give and share and work and confront and submit. And let us do all of that in joy, showing the light of Christ to the world around us. Let us be a church that shines brightly in a dark world that they can know who you are. In your name I pray, amen.